You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants. For a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Prison. Get a friend. Get informed. And get involved. We are not cattle radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Sonoya, Georgia, home literally and figuratively of The Walking Dead. It is the 20th day of November 2015, and we're going to be live here for the next hour. Joining me here in the next few moments will be Josh Wiley of StatelessHomesteading.com, otherwise known as Rusticus. So I do appreciate everybody staying with me. Um... Last week, I do apologize. I was um, sick once again. I don't know why my illness seemed to fall on show days, but that's uh, unfortunately what we've got going with us. Big announcement on the show moving forward. Um, as of January 1st of this year, we will no longer be on Blog Talk Radio. We will actually be streaming live from wearenotcattle.net, so if you want to find any of my old uh, shows, or if you want to find any of the new shows, you can go there and also check the website wearenotcattle.net for the latest uh, uh, podcast or live airs, as we'll do a countdown timer on there as well, so you will be able to catch the show whenever we can get around to doing it. So, it's a good thing that nothing happened since the last time I did a show, because now we can talk all about climate change. Nah, that'll come up later in the show, as usual. We do have um, some interesting news uh, today. Uh, you know, the source was Climate Depot, but I think I've heard this many, many times before. And it's a, an MIT climatologist basically saying the same thing that Josh and I have said for the past, I don't know, three years. And all it has to do with the understanding of what carbon is and what it actually does. And that uh, heating up the atmosphere two degrees might not be a bad idea because you would increase vegetation. You would increase uh, uh, habitable land for, for many, many people. We might lose a foot or two of shoreline, but in case anybody's ever been to South Florida, there's plenty of it. So that's um, it's all this misnomer. It's all about uh, money. We'll get into that here in a little bit. We've said that from the outset. Uh, Josh has written articles about it on statelesshomesteading.com. Uh, so joining me now as I pull him up, uh, from statelesshomesteading.com, or shall I say Rusticus, Josh Wiley. Um, thanks for coming on, man. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jake, as always. Uh, and like you said, it's glad, it's a good thing that we had an uneventful last week, so you know we can talk about whatever we want this show, right? <laughs> yeah, we can actually talk about video games if we want. That would be pretty interesting. So um, it's, uh, it's, very, uh, it's very fortuitous that um, we actually had people call into the show last week, Josh. And uh, for those of you that don't know, I, I, I do the show live, but I don't pay a ton of attention to who's on the switchboard. So I'm going to keep that over in the in the corner this time. We had like four or five callers that I never got to because, um, frankly, I never saw you guys. Sorry. Um, and we do have new listeners tuning in every week. Uh, I'm seeing the stats. This is fantastic. I, I appreciate everybody sharing the show. Uh, once again, the mantra is share the show with people you know, people you love, people you like. Uh, and start a dialogue with them. Um, my sister absolutely hates that term, but because um, it is kind of a, unless, it is, unless go ahead. Of course, you're calling in to berate us. In which case, do not extend that dialogue to your friends and family because that might get a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I would not recommend it. But um, you know, it's it's fun to to understand where Josh and I are coming from, uh, on, especially on this topic that we're going to cover tonight: the Paris attacks. Obviously, um, extreme tragedy with over 100 people killed, murdered um, by radical Islamists. Um, still, uh, right after we see attacks like this uh, and attacks on the Russian um, and the Russian passenger jet, we see the U.S. media foaming at the mouth, wanting to blame their little baby, wanting to blame ISIS or ISIL or the Islamic State or whoever the acronym is at this point. And what, um, what I want listeners to pay attention to is that even the people spitting the rhetoric at you will get it mixed up. They will say ISIS in one sentence, and then right after that they'll say IS or ISIL. And so that's just basically to confuse the public. 
all they should say are radical jihadists that we have funded and given arms to have blown up a plane or have shot up a bunch of people in Paris. But what Josh and I are going to do tonight is take a little bit of a detour from the standard, well, if you're listening to this show and you've been listening to this show since the inception, you understand that ISIS or ISIL or IS is uh, typically a creation of the West. Now, not saying that we go and actually transplant people over there uh, as far as the militants go, but we do fund them. We give them arms. The um, the ambassador thing in, in Benghazi, I talked to a, a former uh, high-level Air Force uh, I won't even give you his rank, but um, he, right after Benghazi, and this was uh, at a Christmas party a couple of years ago, he attends my family's Christmas party, and so I always corner him, and we'll, we'll have conversations that don't typically happen regarding uh, the uh, the sheeple. And so he was talking to me about Benghazi, and this was before it even hit the papers, but there, there was some off-stream you know, news about the, the transfer of weapons, and it was a big arms, uh, not arms depot, but um, you know, there were some armaments there, and that's all it was, was just a transfer of weapons, and, and, and uh, he looked at me kind of shocked, like, how do you know all this stuff? And so we got to talking, and, and we were talking about the, the rise of radical Islam um, over there, and, and his concern was that we were... Uh, being too lax with the people that we were partnering up with. Once again, using, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but the the old Henry Kissinger adage that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I don't know if he created that, but he's definitely the one that popularized it. Uh, is that, um, am I right there? I don't think so. <laughs> Dang it. I'm pretty sure that's a very old phrase. Well, anyway, that's a neocon perspective. You know, they're going to fund people that, that, that believe that their enemies are the same as our enemies. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're good guys. It's just like, well, you guys hate Russia too, so especially if Zygmunt Brzezinski's in charge, if you guys hate Russia, then you're good with us. We don't really care what you do. So Josh well, and I... In a, lot of, in a yeah. lot of instances, I would even argue it's more Machiavellian than that. Like, of course, in Operations Gladio A and B, these people mm-hmm. are actively fomenting the terrorists yeah. uh, or, or, or rebels or color revolutionaries mm-hmm. well in advance of of any kind of, you know, supposed alignment based on uh, that, that principle that, that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, well, so this is the, the 3D versus 2D chessboard, <laughs> as, as we so often talk about. <laughs> All right, so let's define terms briefly. So, obviously, we had the Paris attacks. Who was behind it? Now, we're not going to get into this rat race of trying to track down who was the, the mastermind or anything like that. But what we're going to present to you on the show tonight is is a deeper understanding that there are other actors in play here. Uh, whether these actors portrayed or whether these actors perpetrated these events that happened in Paris, or whether these actors are just kind of in a standby and have done, you know, a smattering of things throughout the years. That's what we're going to present. So, getting out of this uh, mainline Western linear thinking that everything has to happen a certain way and in certain orders. Once again, that's the way the mainstream media can really program you to believe something is that you have this one linear approach because you've been taught that once again through the uh, classical uh, public education system aka the um the um Josh help me good gosh i just lost it the uh, the prussian, prussian uh, thank you system of education yep. uh, the prussian system of education so we've been conditioned to accept things in in a linear format and so what we're going to do is we're going to break that linear format, show you that there are other ways to see this. And Josh, I think it would be uh, behoove us to talk about Gladio A, and then I have a clip that will segue pretty well into Gladio B, which you've done more research on than I have. So I'm going to let you run with that uh, a little bit. Is there anything that the audience should know before we get into um, the idea of or the the understanding of Operation Gladio and then uh, the the manifestation of Gladio B? Uh, honestly, I'd say you need at least uh, 10 hours worth of listening and reading under your belt uh, as, as a primer for these subjects, uh, just because there is a lot going on. And I think that's why so many people are reticent to discuss Gladio, especially in the alternative media, simply because it is so long, uh, such a long story over the course of almost 70 years now, very complex in, in terms of how these varying groups and intelligence agencies interact with one another. And sometimes people just kind of tune out because they're like, oh, I'm hearing all these names and, you know, all of these con- people are making all these connections, which I for which I have no context. So I'm just going to 
stop listening to this. Uh, unfortunately, we heard uh, something very similar to this on, on the No Agenda show the other day mm-hmm. uh, from John Dvorak, so I guess that is his role as the buzzkill. Um, but I think it, John's dismissal of Operation Gladio B is solely because he doesn't necessarily understand the historical context that we're talking about. So just to give some of that here, Gladio A uh, was a program uh, that was put in place by NATO in immediately following World War II. Mm-hmm. And the, the justification for this by the Central Intelligence Agency, who ran a large degree of these ops, uh, but also with MI5 and MI6 uh, and these other NATO-based intelligence agencies in France and Belgium and Germany where these gladios were stationed, uh, were, some of them were in on it and uh, others were not, but they did not, certainly did not have much regional autonomy uh, whether they were in on it or, or again, were more separated from it. Right. Um, but uh, CIA, MI5, uh, set up a network of what they called stay-behinds. Yep. And these were either nationalists, European nationalists, uh, many of whom were simply conservatives who wanted to defend their country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the vast majority of them were reactionary fascists. Uh, and, of course, the plan was that they, they would have these arms cash arms caches and secret gold and and money hidden throughout Europe and this network of soldiers. So if the great red menace from the east uh, were to to ever invade, uh, there would be a network on the ground to respond immediately. Uh, And some people would argue that, you know, this plan was cooked up by Frank Wisner and John Dulles and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're... The, the typical goons that later on went on to serve in the Eisenhower administration, during but, which all of this got much worse. And Josh, and Josh, um, what is always the excuse um, from a Western, especially back uh, in those days, what, what was always the excuse for having um, some kind of paramilitary force in place? What was always the excuse? It was to fight no, what? The, it, this is the specter of communism. Uh, it was the threat back then, but Yay. as a concept, it's... Yeah, uh, the Mario coin. Thank you. You're welcome. I tried to set you up for it. (laughs) Yeah, I I always forget that we're integrating sound effects now. It throws me off. Listen, man. We uh, listen. It's about to be 2016. We got to step our game up. I mean, it's it's time. It's time to migrate, and it's time. It's time to evolve. So here we go. 2016 with sound effects or 1985, bringing it back. Well, you know what? There's nothing better (laughs) than there's nothing better than an 8-bit sound effect. There really isn't. So I continue. Very true. Those Japanese sound designers on 8-bit chips are great. But, <laughs> but yeah, so sorry to get this back on track a little bit. Um, the, the Gladio network, which was fomented again to fight the menace of communism, uh, but, but as a concept, of course, fighting this great other is something that we see today uh, in, in terms of Islamic terror is the new boogeyman. Mm-hmm. These are very uh, Straussian concepts. Uh, if you are not familiar with that term, I suggest looking up Leo Strauss who was uh, an academic at the University of Chicago, under whose tutelage uh, such wonderful people as uh, Paul Wolfowitz <laughs> and Donald Rumsfeld have, had studied. Um, and he, uh, Paul Wolf, or excuse me, uh, Leo Strauss really did birth the, this neoconservative ideal of, uh, of the noble lie right. and fighting, fighting an enemy that may or may not actually be your enemy, may or may not actually exist, right. uh, but because of the social unity that it draws, it's a worthy fight regardless, at least is their justification. It's East so Asia it, all it, over again. Exactly. So whether or not these NATO stay-behinds with Operation Gladio A uh, were actually ever intended to repel the Soviet Union from some invasion, or if the intent was always to, to do what Operation Gladio ended up being, which is, of course, a, a deadly string of terror and, and color revolution, false flag attacks uh, that, that were instead designed... Uh, for these right-wing reactionary fascists, in most cases, um, to stage terror attacks and blame them on the communists mm-hmm. to create the enemy that you couldn't draw out of, of the shadows. Um, and Operation Gladio A has, has a long and interesting history in all of these European countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Gladio because uh, it got most of its uh, prominence, at least within the press, when the, the Italian court system... Start, got their hands on some of these gladios and started prosecuting them throughout the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Vincenzo Viciguerra was one of these uh, men. He's the guy who informed us about the strategy of tension, right. which is so key to Operation Gladio. Which can one you, of the can things, you def- before you go on, can you define the strategy of tension for, for the people playing the home game? 
Of course. So when uh, Vichy Guerra was in court, uh, he was asked by, um, by the prosecution, essentially, why did you guys only go after soft targets? Uh, the, the distinction, of course, being these are civilians, they're people, they're innocent people, mm-hmm. far removed from politics and political mm-hmm. games. They said, you guys have the connections, you have the weaponry, you have the opportunity to really hurt us. So why didn't you go after government buildings or military installations, things like that? And he said, that, that wasn't our goal. Our goal was to attack the innocent uh, people that were disconnected deliberately from politics because it's those people who we wanted to scare. It's those people we wanted to ask for the state uh, to, to come in and save them. So, and of course, that's very, very reminiscent to, to what's happening today, uh, and and not just in uh, in an ideational sense. Mm-mm. I think that there is real historical continuity from from Gladio A and these original false flagging uh, European fascists to what we see now in in Operation Gladio B, false flagging Islamo fascists. Right, which will I'll actually play the clip from that, but um, you know, not to not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but. Um, when I heard about this attack and when I heard about what happened and and what the targets were, uh, reading a reading a bunch on Gladio and and watching a bunch of um, a bunch of interviews of people that have done deep research on it, it it just I don't know about you, Josh, but it just screamed at me that this was some kind of op like that. And then the the idea that the American media comes out and shame on you people. This is not a highly sophisticated attack. You could do this with 20 frat guys in a fraternity house. Okay, guys, at 7.15, you're going to show up here, you're going to go here, you're going to go here. As soon as your watch hits 7.15, start shooting. Doesn't seem like it's that highly coordinated to me or it's that sophisticated. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. And then the bullshit, excuse me, everybody... But the bullshit that follows, excuse me, we'll do this. Morning, Sound effects morning. and bullshit alerts. The the utter nonsense that follows this with the encryption crap, the, all this stuff that we'll get into in a minute, it is laughable. But if you're caught, like Josh said, if you're one of those people that aren't in the political sphere or have not been awakened to the fact that there are ultra-nationalists, that there are uh, people that are have been put into play in order to create and foment uh, foment rebellions, foment um, government overthrows, or to just, once again, create a strategy of tension to where you can scare the hell out of people. So, um, Josh, is this a good point for me to, uh, to play the Gladio B uh, clip from Seabell Edmonds where she talks about how they shifted from uh, ultra nationalistic um, and ultra fascist to to what to what the um, Gladio is today. Is this a good spot, or did you have anything to add before I played this? Uh, absolutely, but before you do, I'd uh, just like to say if people are not familiar with who Sibel Edmonds is, uh, her website is boilingfrogspost.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's an FBI whistleblower, according to the ACLU, the most gagged woman in America to the point where at one point even her name and date of birth were classified. Uh, thanks to the FISA courts in this country. Uh, but Sibel Edmonds, while working for the FBI uh, in, in the post-9-11 atmosphere, began to discover a series of discrepancies in terms of the translation work that had originally been done for the FBI uh, versus uh, what she was actually finding in, the, in their documentation. And, a po- and during her time there, she discovered a number of fascinating things. But among these uh, are documents pertaining to this program, Gladio B., which she, she says is, is a, a direct uh, descendant of the CIA's original Gladio A program. Okay, so here we go. Hit it. He is pulled off of his position and immediately sent to a base in Germany. This is a- She's talking about the uh, former, uh, and this is kind of a, a, an interesting where to, place to put it in, uh, talking about the former ambassador to Turkey that was actually running a lot of these ops because most of these things came out of Turkey. And um, how he was removed with one year left and given no reason, just, hey, we got to pull you out. So here we go. American military base and from there to Brussels. Ha! Huh, this is interesting. Now, these characters that been talked about in my case for 12 years were there in 1997. So look happens. They were pulled out. So was the top military man. And this was uh, the top man for the Turkish so-called counterterrorism. 
operations commando was sent on a mission to uh, Washington, D.C., Turkish embassy. And again, this is documented. Right after Susulut, they had to get him out. He was a chief guy in the military overseeing these thugs and these operations, these false terror, false flag operations. Not only in Turkey, Central Asia, Caucasus, you know, a lot of Chechen operations. Gee, whatever came out of Chechnya? Anything? Hold on a second, Josh. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nothing came out of there. I, I, um, I clicked the wrong button here. People Central Asia, me. Caucasus, you know, go. a lot of Chechen operations, um, Eastern Europe. So he was... Pulled- so just to play the home game for people uh, that forgot, the Tsarnaev brothers had um, Chechen connections and were probably assets of the uh, CIA. Well, he was sent to Washington, oh. D.C. He never went back. Again, nobody cited any... And Josh wanted to add to that. Go ahead, buddy. Josh? Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I just wanted to say the, the yeah. Chechen terror connections to, um, uh, to to CIA and Gladio, but also as they pertain to the Russians, because Russia has been dealing with these Chechen terrorists for at least 20 years now. Right. Um, so, But another another interesting deep political point to look up is are the apartment bombings, I think of in 2004, <laughs> um, that in, in which the Chechens were also implicated, this same group of Chechen Islamo-fascists, were implicated, uh, but there's also significant evidence to suggest that that was actually uh, the Russian FSB that planted those bombs. And um, who was the head of the FSB at that time? Uh, <laughs> scratching my head. Uh, was it, uh, oh yeah, Vladimir Putin. Hmm. Interesting how this all works out. Uh, you know what, people? We're all conspiracy theorists. Nothing to see here. Strap your tinfoil hat on. Here we go. They took all these important figures. They took them to Russell. Brussels, and they took them to Washington, D.C. And then it was the decision-making time for the top guys in the world, okay, for, for NATO, U.S., U.K., saying too much exposure. This chapter is closed. Gladio is not closed. We are going to Plan B, Gladio Plan B operations, which we have already prepared for it some to some extent, and that is we are not going to use military, we're going to use Islamist factions, who, a.k.a. Mujahideens, a.k.a. Al-Qaeda. So, this okay, is again. All right, so that's basically what I wanted to get out of that. I mean, it's it's incredible. I'll put it in the show notes. You guys can watch it. It's a four-part series. I'm only done part one, so... I, I, I'm still training wheels on Gladio B, and that's why I'm letting Josh have the con on this. But, um, <clears throat> Josh, w- what else do you think is, is important for people to know uh, about Gladio Part B before we close out this little section and then, uh, and then move on to the verbiage that's being used? I, I touched on it a little bit. And then, um, and then all the fanfare that has been subsequent since uh, the French um, bombings. Yeah, well, honestly, there there's just so much to learn with Gladio B. It's not really something, like I said, those, that interview series uh, between James Corbett and Sabella Edmonds is over five hours long. Yeah. So to, to think that we could do it in 15 minutes uh, is a little bit, you know, uh, uh, unrealistic. So but, let's, let's and, table it then, and we can, uh, you, you know, if you guys want to look into it a little bit more, if you want to be conspiracy uh, theorists like us, or, you know, just be people that well, would like... <laughs> Unfortunately, Jake, I feel like it's so intimately tied to absolutely everything we're going to discuss with what happened in Paris. Uh, you, I really do implore readers to or and listeners, excuse me, to to go and uh, and look up more about mm-hmm. uh, Operation Gladio B. But one of the key points that people need to remember: a lot of Sibel Edmonds' research uh, is by way of um, Turkey and Azerbaijan, where she claims. Uh, that a lot of the heroin that has been refined in northern Afghanistan for far longer than simply in the uh, the, the 90s when the Taliban uh, supposedly took over that operation. Uh, the adult media gets a lot wrong in that regard as well. Um, but she claims that this uh, Afghan heroin, which during the purview of the Russians, uh, when the Russian mafia was running that operation, mm-hmm. typically from you know through this from the 70s through on to to the mid 90s. Uh, that the refining and shipment uh, took place largely in Afghanistan, whereas now uh, the the American heroin route takes that 
same uh, those same poppies through Azerbaijan and Turkey before they're refined and, and put onto the world market. Um, and there are a lot of interesting things going on right now. Jake, I don't know if you want to get into this or you want to table it for another discussion, mm-hmm. um, because we're also seeing, seeing now in, in the Gulf of Guinea, in Ghana, in Mali, and now in Nigeria, yep. we've seen three bombings in the past, um, you know, five days, supposedly all connected to, um, of course. to this string of Paris attacks, and, yeah. and this is all ISIS getting Why their not? revenge on the world for something i don't know exactly what but um forgiving them forgiving them forgiving them weapons and helping them fight Assad. that's what it is yeah but 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 i have an article up on my website statelessholmesteading.com right now called uh, the sustainable gladios and the west african drug trade and what seems to be happening at least from my eye jake is that all all of this drug activity um that used to be uh, in under the purview of nato in, in azerbaijan and turkey they're starting to move those operations to the Gulf of Guinea, mm-hmm. and they're now starting to ship uh, heroin best bound for Western markets out of Africa, as opposed to these uh, parts of the Central Asian Caucasus and the Middle East and the Mediterranean coast. Uh, we're also seeing that uh, uh, Mexican opium is has, is on a tear. <laughs> if it were a stock, I'd recommend that you buy it um, <laughs> solely because it's... Uh, the production is up, I, th- I believe, it's almost 140% over the past last year. And this is a region that traditionally in southern Mexico is not known for opium production. Um, so uh, the CIA, in a lot of respects, is shifting their operational purview from the Middle East back to some areas, at least in the drug trade realm, that are a little bit more easy to control. So, um, And as we as we see Paris, Paris initiating uh, this, this what can only be described as a flipping over of the chessboard in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are going to be a lot of pieces that get realigned there. Uh, but I, I can tell you now, it does not necessarily look like the Anglo-American establishment is positioning itself to continue the drug trade there, at least not in the same way that they have over the past 20 years. Right. And if so, you look at, if you look at leadership, you know, from Obama and, and his, and his little council and, um, and the neocons, of course, Obama is a neocon to an extent, but, um, it, it looks like that there's like it, for the first time I've ever seen the military industrial complex and and the and the uh, intelligence agencies. It looks like that there's really a, a lot of splintering and not a lot of cohesion. And one thing that I would piggyback on though, what you were saying about Mexico being this this new hotbed for opium. Did you see? Um, did you see? I think it was Carlos Slim or somebody like that that was a really prominent fic- – um, once again, he is – you want to talk about somebody that's an absolute tyrant. Uh, <laughs> hey, I own 90 percent of the country's telecommunications, but I swear I'm not a mafia don. Um, he said that um, – I think he said that all drugs will be legal in Mexico very soon, which would be – you know, piggybacking exactly on what you said – if you legalize it and it drops the price down locally, it drops the production price down as well. So now, now your export price and your revenue just goes through the roof because you can produce it cheap because everybody can produce it. Of course, you got to you know coordinate off like Ohio tried to do with your, you know, having your ten you know your ten protected uh, groups that are the only ones allowed to grow it. But um, that would be a big uh, that would be a big boost to the economy down there if you were looking at it from that perspective. What are your thoughts? Well, that's typically the way the Anglo-American establishment has historically operated uh, in that there are some areas where they would force opium onto markets like in China and others where they would simply make it legal uh, like in uh, India. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing two, two competing models. Uh, it looks to me as if that's the case. Of course, the end product is still addiction and, and potential death but eh, you know it's all right you know a couple of those um sedatives won't hurt you so what do you want to get into i i um i sent you the list of things that i wanted to run down um what let's go to your clip let's go to your clip where you're on playstation now this was funny do you want to set this up really quick because i haven't even seen or heard the clip yet so Oh, sure thing. I, I have only heard part of this clip but it's been all over the news this is a native ad for xbox one <laughs> Here we go. Microsoft getting into the game. Here we go. Excuse my 3 meg DSL dial-up. PlayStation. Yep, hold on. Hold on, people. We're running into some bandwidth issues here. 
which is not a shocker at all. A tool for terror? Believe it or not, authorities say ISIS terrorists are using the popular game console to communicate with each other in a way that can't be monitored by national security. How scary is this? It's extremely scary. Cybersecurity. Oh, it's, it's terrifying. You got people playing first-person shooters that are talking about jihad? That's just frightening. The expert Michael Hoos showed me how it works. I'm in the Inside Edition office playing a game on a PlayStation 4 connected to the Internet. Producer Allison Hall is on another PlayStation. She's in another office here in the newsroom, but she could just as easily be on the other side of the world. You have to be invited to participate in the game, which will enable the audio and the text message to go back and forth. Now Allison and I can chat. Allison, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Annie. And send each other text messages. And there you go. There's the message. You can hit the middle button right there. And so Allison you... writes hi. She could write anything, though, right there. She, she could write bomb, Josh. Correct. Mike, how is this different than text messages <laughs> and phone calls? And why do the terrorists want to use this? It's actually a closed network. So it's kind of outside of what everyone is using for communication. There's no way to monitor PlayStation, right? Not really. It's very hard. Bullshit. This is such bullshit. Oh, hold on. Jake. Yeah, go ahead, man. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't people um, pay for PlayStation Network? This is a joke. Yes, and for Xbox Live. I mean, this is such so ridiculous. Oh, and yeah, by and the way, and by the way, when, you have when, to hold on a second. Time out. You have to enter your you have to enter your street address, your your ID, a freaking credit card. I mean, it's not like oh look, oh you know what we didn't know who he was or where he lived or no no no. This is this is. I was, I was, was going to go down with the question and answer format, but yeah. you got right to the point. Yeah, I, this, I'm this, sorry, this, man. This, this is a hilarious a joke. Second half of the show, so it's second beer time. So I'm loosening up. Here we go. <laughs> a spokesperson for Sony, which makes the PlayStation, says we are dedicated to checking behavior, and we urge our users and partners to report activities that may be. Why is she yelling at us? Offensive, suspicious, or illegal. PlayStation terror. A grim development in the war on ISIS. So buy your Xbox One because it's open source. Dude, that is fantastic. Thank you. Great catch, Josh. Great catch. All right. So yeah. um, you sent me yeah, another... Well, and yeah, go ahead. Chart, this is, this is not one media outlet that published this story, by the way. This is from the CIA director on down claiming that this is uh, staunchly the case. But in addition to being a great native ad for the Microsoft Xbox One and all the little kitties that play the Marine Corps-funded Call of Duty propaganda series. Or or, uh, ha- or sure. Halo propaganda series as well. In, Rem- indeed, although they, they get a little bit less assistance from them, at least have in the past. Hey, don't but, worry, man. Master, yeah, Chief, Master Chief fights for Uni- United Nations Space Command. It's okay. But... But of course, the big geopolitical end being uh, a big fuck you to encryption uh, and encryption users, evidently. We, we've seen this a lot, Jake, from uh, governments uh, seemingly having issues with corporate America and their encrypted technologies. I don't know how much of it is a genuine response from companies like Sony and Apple to the fact that their customers want their data encrypted and don't want these companies sharing the keys with the government, or if this is just a big old dog and pony show. Um, but it is interesting to, to note that they're ramping up this, uh, this anti-encryption, anti, uh, anti, uh, digital liberty message yet again. Oh, so here is, um, I was looking for it because I couldn't, I thought it was a CIA director, but it was the FBI director. <laughs> I, I forgot which alphabet soup agency said this, but, um, this is about the, the encrypted data. Oh, James Comey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> This is such. This is crazy. All right, let's see if this clip will play off their website with my terrible download speed here, as I have to stall to see if it'll even buffer up. But um, yeah, it's it, it's ridiculous, Josh. You and I talked about this before. The idea of encryption for uh, an intelligence agency should be null. The only thing that they're looking to do is circumvent the extra five or ten minutes that it will take to unencrypt the data. Which means that they can't grab the feed in real time and send it to a supercomputer. That's all that it means. So if you haven't, all right, become front lines. Oh man, ooh, this is uh, this is this is pretty interesting. So we got to wait twenty five seconds. So let me mute this, so we can uh, get to the meat and potatoes here. 
But uh, Josh, can you hear me okay? Because I'm streaming video and talking at the same time, so we might crash the universe on my um, on my network here. How are we doing? Uh, breaking up a little bit, but it's been worse. Oh well, that's. Don't worry, everybody. We've got a um, a digital copy that is local, and so we will be good to go. This time, I did not forget my recording software, and yes, my computer's still dead. So we are on. Josh, this is. I'm telling you. This is the um, the penultimate. Uh, hold on a second. This is the the penultimate um, voyage for the um, for the Frankenstein computer I have here. So I, I I don't think that this is the clip that I wanted. Used encryption to hide. Maybe this is it. Okay, so here we go. Let's see if this is it. Complex attack, and there's new information. Oh, it's it's now it's complex. It's a complex attack. Now, let's see if we can start this over again. Sorry, people. Live radio. They planned a coordinated complex attack, and there's new information tonight on tight operational security and communication among these terrorists. Investigators have found evidence that the operatives tied to the Paris attackers frequently changed cell phones, switched cars, even searched for possible listening devices. And a- Oh, my God, they were actually smart. According to counterterrorism and intelligence officials, there's evidence that they used encryption. That maybe they're using. Ooh, there was evidence that they may have used encryption. Using encrypted messaging apps, they uh, do a very good job of hiding whatever you're saying uh, from being intercepted by somebody who, like a government. Encryption: conversations chopped up into a jumble by mathematical algorithms, code that U.S. officials say is nearly impossible to crack. <laughs> Hold on a second. Like seriously, Josh? Do they think that we're idiots? Mm. Or uh, at the very least, it is very expensive to crack. There we go. When you're doing it en masse like this. There you go. That's probably the better term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> BS. We don't have the ability to break strong encryption, and so if they move to the mobile messaging app, we're going to lose them. Warning! Warning! Bullshit! Comey, my finger is going to get tired if you keep spatting all this rhetoric. This is this is nonsense. So that's a huge worry. Apps like one called Signal encrypt phone calls. Ooh. WhatsApp and an app called Telegram encrypt text. Matthew Green, who teaches applied cryptography at Johns Hopkins, showed us another way terrorists can make their texts disappear on the Telegram app. You can program them to self-destruct in a few seconds. I send Green a text to meet... Isn't that Snapchat, Josh? Oh my goodness, Jake! You're just this is you're making too much sense. Cut it out. Somewhere he reads it, then gone, and just like that, you've got no record of the communication. Telegram also has an avenue similar to Facebook and Twitter, where you can post public messages. ISIS used Telegram to claim responsibility for the Paris attacks and the downing of the Russian passenger plane in Sinai. Well, well, therefore, it has to be true if they used (laughs) social media to claim responsibility. ISIS analysts say is constantly. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, So, do I was just wondering, do they post uh, their their uh, claim of attack onto social media first? Or did they just email it right to the site intelligence group? Or did I, they send them the link? I th- they probably sent the site intelligence group a link, and I'm sure that they're an admin on uh, on their homepage. I'm almost positive. Yeah. Well, I mean, with all the white guys in, in these Islamic jihad videos, I'm sure they've got like a courier or a messenger or something by now. <laughs> and for any of you that don't know, um, the No Agenda show does an incredible job of breaking this down as well. Anytime that you see any of these videos get released, it magically is found on the dark web by the Site Intelligence Agency. Coaching its operatives on how to use secure communications. In its English language uh, publications, ISIS says, use an Android phone. They're the hardest to, to crack for the intelligence agencies. Use particular applications uh, that are anonymized. Uh, use Tor, which is, of course, the dark net. Oh, 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 oh. ISIS may have made one significant cyber enemy. La guerre est déclenchée. Anonymous, now vowing to unleash a wave of cyber attacks on ISIS in retaliation for the Paris massacre. Oh my God, didn't ISIS or didn't Anonymous say that they were going to do that against the Free Syrian Army or something like that? I thought they did the same. Uh, yeah. I thought these are the same uh, thing I don't like know. a couple years I ago. I don't know if this is the. I don't know if this is the anonymous that's the fourteen-year-old script kitties that play in their basement, or if it's the FBI and CIA agents that actually. Uh, run these that songs. looked like a high production, and so that was probably the FBI's anonymous. You know, they do have. Yeah, the, and if 
And if and if anyone out there is upset because they like wearing their Guy Fox masks at rallies, uh, <laughs> just want you to go look up Lulzsec, L-U-L-Z-S-E-C, and look up what happened to Lulzsec uh, because half of them were FBI informants. So, <sighs> it's always the case, man, isn't it? It's like you know. Before we get back into this, it was funny that you and I um, went down the path one night where we were just chit chatting back and forth and. Started talking about the ancient aliens uh, theory and all of that other stuff, and you said that uh, you said it was always funny because every time the ancient aliens people kicked down a door, they found aliens. And you said, well, every time I kick down the door behind the alien, I always see the CIA or the FBI or some other intelligence agency there running some kind of sham on the American people or on whoever it is. You know, whether it's uh, Area 51 or any of those uh, other types of things, it's always some kind of intelligence group running some kind of op that um, that makes it, you know, they catch the people that want to believe, I guess, I guess is the yeah, best way I to think, put it. I think I might have said something more akin to CIA, the FBI, and the alien being involved in some sort of menage a trois. Yeah, I think that, that might it, not be kosher for the kids. Well, I was trying to keep it a little bit PC <laughs> since we already used two curse words. You know, FCC regulations are kicking in soon, Josh. So we got to make sure we have our license. So we're only allowed to use three profane words in the entire show. Which, if we yeah, haven't, we'll yeah. So we can't we'll ever, that yeah, we can't ever have Robert on our show then. So that would, <laughs> that would negate it. We would we would have to quit the show after five minutes, man, eh, maybe ten. All right. So that was that was incredible. I can't believe we just. Ah, this is such nonsense. I do want to play well, this. All right, go ahead, man. I, I want to. I want you sure. to s- set up the clip regarding the uh, the the German trucks because this kind of went around the horn. It even went on Alex Jones uh, for a minute. There was a guy on there chatting about this nonsense as well. Go ahead, man. So just to wrap up our fucking encryption uh, segment. Woohoo! There it is, uh, number three. To... Number three, everybody. <laughs> Just want, <laughs> um, okay, so I, I have to be tongue-tied for the, rest of the interview, at least in respect to profanity. Yeah, well, but yeah. the 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 Mirror uh, and a number of other outlets, of course, are now reporting Jake that ISIS owns at least three million as a Bitcoin wallet worth at least three million dollars. A war chest, they're calling it, <laughs> given to them by anonymous donors from America. So, hide your kids, hide your wife. This is... Hold on a second, man. I've got a video that's out of control here. Alright. Are are you serious? They got a war chest. So what about the money that the U.S. government is giving them? Dogecoin right now. I can't... I'm sorry, I can't even stop this. This is nonsense. Stop. All right, so um, you better quickly set this clip up because we're about to run into problems here. Oh, I, I was able to pause it. So, hey, congratulations, Art Institute. You got a plug on my podcast. Good for you. So, um, I want Command Q. So, let's set up this clip that I'm about to play here regarding um, the the supposed bomb outside the German stadium. There was a guy on Alex Jones's show that was touting the same. Um, this same meme saying that, oh, they found a bomb outside so, of a German stadium with, like, fully loaded and explosives. So go ahead, man. So so, so which which bomb are you referring to, Jake? The, the bomb that was supposedly in the subway that didn't exist or the bomb that was, the bombs, plural, that were loaded in the ambulance parked outside ambulance. the soccer stadium? That fully loaded. Full, fully loaded. They had pictures of the ambulance and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so th- this is it, everybody. And so this is your news media here in America. They get you all bent out of shape, fired up that there's going to be another terrorist attack, strategy of tension. And here's what they have to say. A final word on the terror threat in northern Germany. Uh, we now know from French that the information came from French intelligence. Yeah, what are those French, you know? Some 30 hours in advance, a group known as the, quote, North Africans, unquote, planning an attack on the stadium using automatic weapons and and suicide bombings, vests that they were going to use at the entrance to the stadiums. As it turns out, reports that they had found explosives are unwarranted. The match and the concert called off, but at this point, no known threat. (laughs) 
So that's their retraction after they get you worked up all afternoon about bombs and shootings. Uh, and arrests that also did not happen. Oh, yeah, that's right. I Those forgot. Those reports have been combed. Yeah, they, they said that they made three arrests as well. Uh, and Martha McCallum on Fox News comes out and whips people up into a fervor for 15 fucking minutes. And, uh, you know, Brett oh, Baer. Oh, we uh, got to end the show. Smith, excuse me. We got we got uh, We got in the show. That we, was we it. Lost, that we was lost it. the game. <laughs> no, but it. yeah, that that retraction came by way of Shep Smith around two o'clock in the afternoon when uh, I'm sure all of America was just watching on, on the seat on the tip of their seat. Well, at least they didn't do the retraction like they did on my friend that happened at five o'clock in the morning. They wrote a big piece about my friend way back when and did a retraction at 5 a.m. for 15 seconds. Oh, we we uh, we 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 didn't mean exactly what this article said, so we're we're retracting this. A total demonization campaign. I don't even want to get into it, but it was way back when I actually used to be involved in politics when I thought it actually mattered. Which I kind of kick myself now because I was a little bit rude to a a person in the grocery line tonight because she was um, she was checking me out. We were chatting. And she was uh, scanning my beer, and I always make a I always make a point to people to to say, "Wow, isn't it funny that you got to be 21 years old to buy beer, but you can go vote and take a bullet for your country at 18?" And she goes, "Yeah, well, she goes, yeah, that's kind of funny, and it's really not really." She's like, "It's kind of messed up, also, but you know, I think that everybody should get out there and go vote. You know, if you're eight, you should get out there and voice your opinion." And I said, "Well." I said, in my experience, it's all rigged anyway. And she goes, well, that's a really bad way to look at it. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm like, I've just experienced it way too much, I guess, and, and, and seen it firsthand. So sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble that, uh, get, hey, oh, oh, by the way, everybody in America, um, since Josh already burst the bubble, the shit's rigged. So your vote doesn't yeah, don't, really, really matter. Don't. don't- don't feel bad, Jake, because uh, honestly, you naive lumps of shit out there that still think that the political process is uh, salvation for anything, uh, you're uh, holding us all back, so kindly go fuck yourself. Oh, okay, so we just we just popped off right there. So now we're going to incur yeah. fines. So Sorry, anyway. you, you, you can only hold people, you know, the, the Machiavellians at the CIA and these Operation Gladio goons to account for so long because if people just knew who they were, then they couldn't pull this crap anymore, Jake. What they was... couldn't pull it because they're not going to stop. No. It, it takes people at least being informed and standing up and paying attention. And if, if you still think your vote counts, then Jesus Christ, you might as well just flush it down the toilet. And speaking of which... If if you have any inkling to vote for anybody running for president in 2016, yeah. Um, it's called D-Bold, folks. The same company that makes most of the ATMs in this country it also <laughs> makes the voting machines. So when they count the money to give to the plebs, they always do it so very accurately. So it's a wonder why they can't count votes in elections accurately, but... And we'll, uh, I'll, I will revert back to, and this will be the last thing that we talk about <laughs> regarding voting. Um, the the friend of mine, the, actually, it's it's one of my friend's best friends. Uh, we actually had dinner one night, and he used to work for the company that makes said voting machines. And he laughed and said, oh, my God, it is so easy to rig those. Those are Windows NT boxes. He goes, all you need is a thumb drive and... And you're done. He goes, they wouldn't even and, know. He goes, you just stick a script did, on a thumb drive, put it in there on the side. He goes, because they leave the thumb drive, I mean, the, the USB port open as you're voting. Yeah. It's sitting there on the left-hand side. You just plug it in, press a couple of buttons on the screen, act like you're doing something, then pull it out, and bye-bye. Rig you the can, election. You can pro- not only can you do that, but you can program uh, these voting machines to start candidates with negative votes. So the ultimate tabulation comes out right, but the numbers are wrong. Uh, it's not just on the machines themselves, the voting machines in the booth. Oh, it's yeah. also the same technologies available at the central tabulators that Diebold also runs. There are a couple of other companies that do this, but they're all set up with the same Windows NT technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Jake, I want to remind people this is not a conspiracy theory. Uh, this is this is from a documentary in 2004 on HBO called Hacking Democracy. 
uh, in which a woman who was very upset that John Kerry lost the election in uh, 2004. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, but she wondered, she wondered why the Kerry campaign, like the Gore campaign, did not push back more significantly to recount the votes in Ohio. Uh, and the long story short, she discovers not only forensic evidence that these votes were tampered with in the garbage. This woman went through this is how devoted she was to the political process. Uh, this is what you should have told that that poor little gal checking you out of the liquor store to do. What, go, go to blackboxvoting.com or whatever it was. Yeah, get your hands a little dirty. No, she actually found the, the printouts. Uh, that legally they were not allowed to destroy, but they did it anyways. So there's the legal system failing you yet again, you you know, voting dupes of America. Um, but she managed to dig out the printout for the final tabulation and found that they had indeed started candidates with negative votes, uh, that the tabulations were not proper, and those machines had already been decommissioned, so there was no way to check. But this is all this is all documented by very credible sources. It's just they know people don't really care. Hey, what you reading for? That's all I got to say. That is all <laughs> I have to say. That and this. There's a vast ocean of shit that you people don't know shit about. Since I figured that we were already in violation, it wouldn't be too bad to go ahead and play that. All right, so well, okay. we got... <laughs> once, you, once you have to be licensed, you're so screwed. Oh, you know what, man? Forget it. I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy my two weeks in the sun, and we'll, and we'll just press on. So, um... <laughs> Anything else you want to bring up? We got about eight minutes left. I mean, we can't really tackle a, a big topic. Oh, let's tackle this one. I have a clip. I have a clip. This is from a, a gentleman that will probably be taken into the back room uh, sometime very, very soon. Uh, regarding my favorite subject of man-made anthropogenic global warming. I need an echo effect. Do I have an echo? I've got like a hall effect. Man-made anthropogenic global warming. No, it didn't work. Oh, well. So anyway, there is a – and Josh, you have a, a piggybacking article that goes very well with this. Uh, there is a, a senator, uh, and I have to look his name up because I wrote it down, uh, Bob Cardin of um, – I think he is of the – where is he from? He is from Maryland. And he brought up this little gem of a clip that if I can find it on my – uh, whoops, That's messed up my filing system here, people, stand by. Uh, he, he worked up a, a, um, a nice little speech as uh, the things that Josh and I have been saying for years uh, about um, this whole climate change debacle or truth or whatever you want to call it. So here we go. Here's what he had to say. The Paris negotiations are not about emissions reductions. They are about cash. What? What do you mean they're about cash? Who is making the money? The developing world expects developed countries to offer more than $100 billion per year in what is called climate finance. The rationale for the money, the source of the money, and the use of the money are all unclear. Oh, no, I think it's pretty clear, but we'll let you slide on that one. Developing nations believe they are owed a, quote, ecological debt. Uh, Josh, what was Ghana's ecological debt? I believe that's going to cost them a whopping $22.6 almost two-thirds of their GDP, but no big deal, right? They're just Africans. Yep, and we're conspiracy theorists that don't do... You know, uh, just in keeping with Cecil Rhodes and his last will and testament, you know, he did believe it his will to uh, paint as much of the uh, African map British red as possible. Absolutely. That's a quote Come on, from man. a racist eugenicist we name our scholarships hereafter in this country. So have fun with that in your safe space. Yeah, you know what, man? Send them all over the world. That would be a great way to conquer the world. Just bring ideology all over the world. Oops, sorry, that was in the Testament too. For past developed world emissions and also owed, quote, reparations for the damage from storms they linked to climate change. Now, these are plainly non-starters for the United States. But the developing world is also asking to be reimbursed the cost of mitigation measures they take. India alone says in its INDC it needs $2.5 trillion between now and 2030. Man, that's not a lot of money. I mean, shoot, the U.S. has got that. We got that. We'll write you a check. Just don't cash it. Hold on. But if the INDCs represent business as usual, funding is clearly inappropriate. 
realistically developed world leaders are pursuing a transaction in which having staked their political capital and their legacies on achieving an agreement, any agreement, they will now pay developing nations to sign on the dotted line. To conclude, we should worry that U.S. negotiators and their colleagues desperate to produce an agreement will commit dollars from taxpayers that they cannot actually deliver and get nothing in return. No, no, no. See, I mean, you almost got it, man. It's not about the U.S. dollars. It's about the World Bank. It's about the IMF. It's about these people putting these countries under water so that they can never pay them back to lead to what's the magic P word that we always look for, Josh? Where you take a country's assets and sell it off to private corporations. What's that called again? Oh, I was hoping you could help me out there. Oh, privatization. There we go. The great. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, one Woo-hoo! point for me. <laughs> Josh is up to three Mario coins for the show. One more, and he gets a prize. All right, man. We got four is minutes. All, is that all you needed in Mario? Is four coins? Well, we're uh, somewhere near a hundred. We're playing the uh, the Keynesian model, so you can take those four coins and and sell them um, a thousand isn't, times isn't over. Isn't the Keynesian model a lot like Minus World, where it goes on forever and <laughs> you just have to die because we're all dead in the long run? Oh, <laughs> uh, economic humor! All right, so we got four minutes left, man. Tell people where they can find your work and um and some of the articles that you're proud of that you've syndicated and um where people can check you out well jake uh, i i publish all of my uh my blog posts and the occasional podcast on my website at statelesshomesteading.com uh, uh the the writing i blog under the pseudonym of rusticus so my work makes it all over the place i've been on infowars a few times liberty beacon activist post uh, the Sleuth Journal. If you check any of these alternative media websites, chances are you've come across my writings at some point, uh, at which point you probably scrolled right past them because they're very long and uh, academic and well-cited and you want to read a list article about the five ways an EMP is going to kill your dog. Um, <laughs> so if you like reading those articles, please continue to scroll by my work because uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's not for the faint of heart, nor is it for those of the short attention span. But if you're listening to a show like this, then uh, I assume that you're not one of those people anyways. So, of course, uh, please do check out that work. Uh, I do a lot of writing about sustainable development and Agenda 21. And with COP21 coming up in Paris, uh, interesting how that all works out. Uh, later on, uh, within the next three weeks, two weeks now, geez. Um, I'm certainly going to be adding a few more blog posts about that. Uh, I've got a lot of context on my website to help you guys understand uh, the very things that we discuss so often on this show, Jake. So that's where you can find my stuff. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And before we do leave, I just want to thank uh, Francois Hollande for uh, extending the, uh, the state of emergency in Paris for an additional three months so that the 100,000-person protest uh, with 140 people from around the world that was supposed to take place uh, in defiance of COP21 is now canceled. Ah. Well, welcome to the New World Order, everybody. You heard us talking about it for years. Now it's finally here. Um, so Jay, is it is uh, is is Paris a member of the Strong Cities Network as well as the C40 Green Cities Network? You Funny know what? how that all works out. Uh, now we've got the terrorist attack and a climate conference all in the same month. And you and I both talked about this, and this is a great thing to close the show with. All right, so understanding the American psyche, people, this is something to really get your head around. If if you're outside of the box like we are, if you're out of the panopticon, if you've if you have broken the chains of mind control that have been put under you through the classical conditioning seconds. of the public school education system or the Prussian education system, and now you have seen the light, well, guess what? The American public's attention span is about three to four weeks. So, magically, we have a terrorist attack that happens, what, three or four weeks before a big event? You don't say. So what they can do is the media can take this and run with it for a couple of weeks. They can fan the flames. They can do all that stuff. They can push the idea back into the public's eye that we need to do this for your safety. And then, then they run their conference with no protest, just like they used to do at the G8, the G, um, the G6. And if you protest, remember, we're on lockdown, so we're going to put you in an internment camp, but we're not going to tell it that. We're just going to put you in shackles up against the wall, and we're just going to hold you for your own safety. So that's it for me, everybody. That's it. Thank you so much to Josh from statelesshomesteading.com. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening and sharing the word about the podcast. Uh, remember to check out No Agenda Show at noagendashow.com, one of our favorite uh, shows to listen to, breaking down the media. We don't typically get too much into that. We focus more on geopolitical stuff. But uh, remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And peace, love, and liberty, everyone. Have a good one. Ten seconds. Oh, you deserve a